chapter 4, beginning of verse 30 to the end. The Bible says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. May God bless his word. Please bow with me in prayer. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for everyone that's here. It's so such a special thing for me to be able to preach to some people. Uh, I am so grateful for that, Father. Thankful for the time that these folks are giving to you. And I pray, Father, that you would help me to feed them by the Spirit of God and through your word. Thank you for those that are joining us online now and in the future. Just pray you'd use your word, minister to the needs of everyone that ever comes under the sound of this sermon. I pray, Father, that you would draw all of us closer to you. Give us a greater understanding of mercy so that we might, first of all, be recipients of it. And then, Father, that we might bask and how wonderful your mercy is. And because of that, that then you would help us to be willing to dispense it. And Lord, we ask your blessing tonight. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You may be seated. I want you to do me a favor tonight, you Bible scholars. Finish this verse for me, please. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. His compassions fail not. And then what? What is it? Okay, that's that's what I thought it said. All the, we're singing the song, and I'm thinking how wonderful. I'm like, wait a minute, this ties in with mercy. Thank you, Tella. And then, so I, I remembered the verse. You know, it's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. And then I and then I thought, isn't the next statement greatest I fail? And then I start doubt myself. And then I couldn't find it. Wasn't that lament? Verse twenty-two. Yeah, I thought I'd look there. I, I, I was probably in Ecclesiastes anyway. <laughs> what a blessing. Think about that. You know, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. And then that next statement there, the one where is, great is thy faithfulness. That's part of his mercy. It's, it's one of the gifts that he bestows upon us. So we're going to talk about mercy. I know some of you might be saying, if, if you pay attention at all to my messages, uh, I did a, f- a series on empathy a little while ago. And um, you're like, well, wait a minute, isn't that the same thing? Yeah, it is kind of the same thing. Um, but, you know, there's a verse that the Lord's been bringing on my mind. I- I'm, I- the older I get, maybe the longer I walk with the Lord, I, I realize how much mercy I need and-, and more than I would have given credit for before. Uh, and so this verse has come to my mind. James chapter 2 and verse 13. Very important verse for us. It says, For he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy. And then it says this, And mercy rejoiceth against judgment. That's an interesting phrase. I want you to think about that. Mercy rejoiceth against judgment. What's what's that mean? What's the idea? You You got two things compared here. Mercy and judgment. Obviously, judgment is justice. You know, the exacting of you making things right, penalty, punishment, getting what you deserve, that's, you know, justice. 
paying back for the wrong, and then you've got mercy. And there, so there are two different things. But remember, what does the Bible say again? It says, for he shall have judgment without mercy that hath shown no mercy. Why? Because, and this is the idea of that next phrase, because mercy triumphs, mercy wins over judgment. So when we think about these two things, keep in mind that God is telling us, if you're going to compare the two here, mercy wins. And so, it is so important for you and I to be dispensers of mercy. And that's what our challenge is tonight. Our text, actually, there's two verses. We're just going to look at Ephesians 4.32. So turn there, if you would, please. And I'm going to be quoting the, the parallel passage. A lot in Ephesians coincides with, it, written by the same writer around the same time, a lot in Ephesians parallels to a lot in Colossians. And so Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32 is almost the exact same exhortation as Colossians chapter 3 and verse 13. And it's a command for us that we're going to look at. Now the word mercy is not found in either of these, but it's mercy. This is, this is like the definition of mercy. Look at, look at Ephesians 4.32. Be ye kind. When I looked up the definition of mercy, I, I traced the root. Uh, it actually goes back to a French word which has the idea of kindness. Showing someone, doing something nice for someone, giving them a gift, giving, giving them something they don't deserve. So be ye kind, one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. That's a command. Listen to what it says in Colossians 3.13. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another if any man have a quarrel against any. Forbear and forgive. You can't do that without a tender heart towards someone. And, and we're commanded to do that. So we're going to talk about mercy tonight. And um, let me give you the outline, then we'll just jump in. We'll pray and Three things. The challenge to be merciful. That's what we just looked at. Then we're going to see the reason to be merciful. And that's the closing statement on both the verses that I read. And then after that, we're going to see the expectation to be merciful. Not only does God exhort us, hey, be merciful. And then he tells us why. We have the greatest reason. But then he also says, I'm expecting it from you. Someday you're going to stand before me and... It's going to be very important that you forgave others if indeed truly you have been a receiver of forgiveness. So every one of you here, including myself, there's going to be oodles and oodles of times where we are going to be called upon to forgive. And we're not always going to feel like it. So let's pray and we'll jump right in. Father, give us grace. Give us help. Uh, we, We know this is expected of us we know your word teaches it and and it should be so simple lord but we know that it is not and uh, we pray for grace and strength to obey your word to grasp what you have done for us in this thing of mercy so that we might be more willing uh, to do it for others and we ask your blessing now in jesus precious name amen So mercy is defined this way. Here's the definition. It is that benevolence 
mildness or tenderness of heart, remember Ephesians 4, tenderness of heart, which disposes a person to overlook injuries or to treat an offender better than he deserves. The disposition that tempers justice and induces an injured person to forgive trespasses and injuries and to forbear punishment. By the way, that's what we want to do, right? We want paybacks. You hurt me, I want you to hurt. You wrong me, you can't do that. You can't get away with that. And you expect me to, to forgive? Mercy. And, and um, I believe this is Webster says this. In this sense, there is perhaps no word in our language precisely synonymous with mercy. That which comes nearest to it, what's the nearest thing to mercy, is grace. It implies benevolence, tenderness, mildness, pity or compassion and clemency. But he says this, but exercised only towards offenders. See, mercy has a context. Somebody doesn't say, please have mercy on me if they've done nothing wrong, right? You know, uh, it, it doesn't exist. It, it, the context is, it's towards offenders. Mercy is a distinguishing attribute of the supreme being. In fact, Numbers chapter 14 and verse 18 says, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. Praise the Lord that he does that. So let's, let's now go to Ephesians 4. Are you still open there? I move you all over the place. All right, look again at verse 32. The simple challenge. Be ye kind one to another. And what he's going to say after this is all being kind to someone. Tenderhearted. When you're tenderhearted for, to someone, you're, you're showing them kindness. If you ignore them or you don't even give them consideration, you're not being kind. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. And again, Ephesians 3.13, forbearing one another. So you've got to bear, you've got to put up with something um, when you're going to have mercy on someone. Remember, you're talking about someone that doesn't deserve mercy. They deserve judgment, right? I mean, they, if they got what they wanted, and Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 12. You know, give place unto wrath. I don't want to give place unto wrath, you know. I want that person to realize what they did to me. They deserve justice. Do they? Yes, they do. So, it's interesting that, um, and I want to talk about this for a minute. Spurgeon, when he, I'm going to give you a quote in a little while if I get time to it. He, in fact, this is what led this whole thing. It was a devotion I did like a week or two ago. And Spurgeon, in his eloquent way, talked about mercy in a way... I think I've read that before. I was probably tired the, the years in the past when I read it, and it went over my head. But man, this one penetrated. This one hit me. He talks about mercy. And he said this. He said, it is un- mercy. So he goes on eloquently about mercy. And in this, he says, it is undeserved mercy, as indeed all true mercy must be. For deserved mercy is only a misnomer for justice. A misnomer is uh, inappropriate or wrong. You're, you're putting the wrong label on it. So, in a deserved mercy is only a misnomer for justice. I want, and I've been thinking on that little phrase. 
Again, deserved mercy is only a misnomer. It's, it's the wrong way to describe justice. And that brings me back to, what is mercy? You need to understand this, because we should be on the receiving end. We, should, we need mercy from God. Not just initially, by the way. In fact, let me address this right now. Hopefully remember where I am at this point. But let me address this. Uh, James James 2.13, For he shall have judgment without mercy, that hath showed no mercy. Mercy rejoiceth against judgment. To me, that articulates the heart of what Jesus said when he said this in Matthew 6.15. He said, If you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I know Charlie dealt with this a while ago. And I remember, you know, that's kind, of a, that's kind of a confusing thing, isn't it? Is Jesus giving, is he telling us that if we don't forgive someone, we lose our salvation? I mean, think about it. If you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will I forgive your, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. It, it kind of sounds that way, doesn't it? I mean, all right. So you can lose your salvation, and that, you know, that changes everything. He's not saying that, though. And I think the, the, the reason I've stumbled over this verse, Matthew 6, for 15, for so long, and I think other people have too, is we tend to look at it only in the salvation sense, redemption, you know. That when we get saved, God forgives us our sins forever. They're washed, they're under the blood, as far as the east is from the, with the west, so far as he removed our transgressions. And of course, once you got saved, you stopped sinning, right? No. And so because we sin, that means we are failing the Lord, which that simply means that though sin, we're not going to be punished but it does affect our fellowship and our relationship with the Lord, right? It, again, and so understand this. It's, it's like he's saying, this is the way I reinterpret or, or another paraphrase of Matthew 6.15. It's basically asking this. Should we expect merciful responses to God? Because folks, he saves us and forgives us completely the day we get saved. But we still need his mercy because we mess up a whole lot day, 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 day after day after day. Uh, and so he's constantly responding mercifully to us. You know, all mercy was not just dispensed at Calvary on the day you and I repented of our sins and had our sin punishment taken care of. We still need mercy on a regular basis. And that, I believe, is what the context of Matthew 6.15 is. And so we need to ask ourselves, should we expect merciful responses to God on our day-to-day basis when we fail him if we don't show merciful responses to others who fail us, I think that's the idea. And that's why, that's why James says, He shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy. We're not talking about heaven and hell here for the believer. Praise God for that. But what we are talking about is, listen, if we're not willing to give other people some breaks, some breath there, you know, that if we're we're just going to exact, you know, you need to pay for what you did every time, then that's going to affect our daily relationship with the Lord. 
And so it goes to, and I want to share with this, uh, there used to be a YouTube program called On the Box. And uh, it was only, only ran for a little while. And there was a scenario there that kind of ties in with what we're dealing with in our Bible study about quick prayerism. And, um, and the idea is this. You know, we, we talked about this. Getting saved is not, I said the magical prayer. Right? We've talked about that. Now, also, I, I've come to realize, because I used to make a big deal when I would lead someone in prayer that they said the right words. <laughs> you know, I used to get really weird about it. Like, um, somebody would pray, and, and you know, in fact, in, in fact, this on the box, they were talking about, you know, having to lead someone through the sinner's prayer, uh, and where that can go wrong, and I did this many times. I remember there were a couple times where someone prayed, I thought I led them so well in what they were asking God, and then, then they, I, they prayed, and I'm like, oh, you know what? You didn't say this exact phrase. Let's go back and pray it again, you know? And, and, uh, and so he's talking about this, and he presents this scenario that I want to relate to you that I think is a good... Because what is salvation? Is salvation... Again, it's not. We've hit this a million times. It's not saying the magical prayer. And so he gives a scenario of a husband that has committed adultery to his wife. And now... His wife is willing to take him back. And so, imagine this scenario. So here's this adulterous husband who is going to the home of his wife. You know, they've been estranged, I guess. And, and he's going to apologize. He, he needs what? Mercy. Does he deserve mercy? No. Doesn't deserve it. Can he say the magical words so that he will deserve mercy? No. Can he show the right spirit so that he deserves mercy? That's a trick question. See, no matter how broken you and I are, we still don't deserve mercy. Oh, but I cried for three hours. Wait a minute, that's, you still don't deserve it. It's still, mercy doesn't become merited and deserved after you've, you know, done so many penance or whatever, so many things. No, mercy will always be undeserved. And, and the person getting mercy needs to understand that. So you got this husband, he comes to the door, his wife answers, and you're there to help him, okay? And he needs some guidance on how to get things right with his wife. So what should he do? Is, is, so he should go up and say, Listen, I'm sorry, all right? Get over it. Would that be the best way to approach it? No, no. Because there's, you know, the, the, clearly there's, there's, a, there's not the repentance. There's not the brokenness. When you and I realize what we've done, and we realize that we need mercy, and we don't want justice, we deserve justice, that's when our everything changes. And... In this On the Box episode, the, the, he was reenacting the idea of, you know, you're there to coach someone. And why, you know, the words are not important. Can you imagine, can you imagine this? So I'm here to help someone. This guy's going to get right with his wife. And I want him to use the right words, you know. So I've got, I've got the apology right here all written down. Say, okay, all right, you ready? Okay, husband, you ready? Wife, you ready? Okay, follow after me. Husband, I am so sorry for committing adultery. I am so sorry for committing adultery. Please forgive me. Repeat that. 
please forgive me. What's the wife going to do in that situation? Right? Isn't that crazy? I mean, what? see, when somebody's broken, folks, here's the idea. Do you think Nathan sat down with, with David and said, listen, I've got this psalm in the working, and, and, and I'm going to tell it to you, and then you're, it's going to be Psalm 51. I want you to, I'm going to tell you what you need to do to God. No. When you and I are broken before God, and we want mercy, we don't, technically, we don't need to be coached through it. And so here's what I've learned. Instead of, when I'm witnessing to someone, instead of looking, okay, it's so important that you say these exact words. I want to first, it's not me giving them what they need, it's, I want to make sure they understand what salvation is. And that they're in a place where they know they need to be saved. And, and so I am done with, you know, if people don't get it, they're not ready for it, then, then give them time. But imagine that. See, when, when a man has committed adultery, his wife is, by the way, his wife is willing to take him back. What a blessing right there. There's, there's a lot of wives that aren't willing to do that. And by the way, I am never going to say, you know, to the wife, you're commanded to do that. How dare you? Wait a minute. This is, you know, we're talking about someone that is, is being asked to be merciful. Isn't it their right to then dispense the mercy? Right? And so think about that when we come to God. When we come to God, we are sinners that have sinned against God and we're cry- we want mercy. We're not coming to God with a laissez-faire attitude like, hey, yo, upst- man upstairs. Hey, I really want this free gift that you give me. Yeah, yeah. Hey, can I be saved? Thanks, great. All right, let's go. You know, no, it's, Lord, I have sinned against you. Have mercy upon me. So remember that, that receiving mercy is, it's not justice. In fact, it, you know, deserved mercy, it, it's, it, it doesn't, it's not, it's always undeserved mercy. Now, let's look at the reason now why we should be merciful. Back to Ephesians 4.32. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Okay, we are, we're not just commanded, because I want to tell you something. Every Christian that has been hurt whether it's legitimate or perceived, and a lot of our hurts are perceived. Under, don't forget that. that Because you, you have been hurt because of perceptions. And don't ever forget that you have probably hurt others because of misperceptions as well. And so don't forget that. I realize that there may be people that I have hurt, never, not intentionally, but I didn't even realize it. And so understand that. So here we have the, the challenge. We need to forgive even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And James or Colossians 3 says the same thing. Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. So it's not just, we're, we're being challenged. Okay, hey, you've got to forgive. Because, by the way, let me go back. As soon as you and I are challenged with this, every Christian that is begins to understand their obligation to forgive, the first thing we do is justice comes to our mind. And we think, no, I have been hurt. 
I have been wronged. They have done me dirty. And you're telling me I need to forgive them and just release them? And by the way, let's go back now. Even as Christ hath forgiven you. You offended God. Let me go back to this. uh, Remember the story in Matthew 18? But we'll go there in a minute. The reason we have to be merciful is, again, the person, whoever we forgive, no matter how beautifully they they, uh, dance the the apologetic tour, you know, or or no matter how effectively uh, and emotionally they are able to convince you that they really are sorry, no matter how much that happens, they still don't deserve justice, or mercy, excuse me. And if you give them mercy, and this needs to be their attitude, they understand that is a kindness they don't deserve. I, we've had some prisoners, inmates, that we, when we're dealing with the prison ministry, not many, thankfully, uh, in the ones we dealt with that were believers. I, I, was always, I was always so refreshed by the the inmates, and this was rare, the first time it happened, I still remember the guy, precious man, and did a very, very bad thing. Took someone's life. And he's the only one that said, he said to me, Pastor Lyon, I did the crime and I deserve everything I get. He was repentant, precious Christian. But even after he was saved, and God did forgive him, he never had the attitude that I remember one guy uh, also committed the sin, but he never, never really magnified the sin. He kind of made light of it, and he started. He just had an attitude that you know that our justice system was punishing him the way that it was. And most people would look at that and say, "You should have gotten a whole lot worse." But he had the attitude. Come on now, see when you and I. When you and I begin demanding justice, like, you better forgive me. God tells you to forgive me. We need to back up. We need to back up. When Christ forgave us, we didn't deserve it, folks. We'll never deserve it. Understand that. And he, yet He willingly forgave us. Only because of what Christ did on Calvary. And now this is where we need to focus. Of the quote from Elizabeth Elliot that I've been quoting a lot, and I love this, uh, the statement about a very um, very terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. You know, you ever have one of them? She said, if you dwell on your own feelings about things rather than dwelling on the faithfulness, the love, and the mercy of God, then you're likely to have a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Our feelings are very fleeting and eph- ephemeral, aren't they? Can't depend on them for five minutes at a time. But, Dwelling on the love, faithfulness, and mercy of God is always safe. How wonderful God is. Listen to what Spurgeon said. He was quoting from Psalm 52, 8, the mercy of God. I want you to walk through this. This is one of those things where I was just so blessed by reading it. I'm hoping that you'll be blessed just by me reading it. He said, meditate a little on this mercy of the Lord. It is tender mercy. With gentle, loving touch, he healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. He is as gracious in the manner of his mercy as in the matter of it. It is great mercy. 
There's nothing little in God. His mercy is like Himself. It is infinite. You cannot measure it. His mercy is so great that it forgives great sins to great sinners after great lengths of time and then gives great favors and great privileges and raises us up to great enjoyments in the great heaven of the great God. I think there's a word that's being repeated a lot there. Great. His mercy is great. And then he says, It is undeserved mercy, as indeed all true mercy must be, for deserved mercy is only a misnomer for justice. It is rich mercy. Some things are great but have little, little efficacy in them. But this mercy is a cordial to your drooping spirits. I love that. It is a cordial to your drooping spirits. A golden ointment to your bleeding wounds. A heavenly bandage to your broken bones. A royal chariot for your weary feet. A bosom of love for your trembling of heart. Oh, where does he come up with these words? I would love to speak like that, like naturally. I mean, this just comes out of him, you know? By the way, I am convinced that those preachers of old that didn't have TV and entertainment and just wasted all their time reading and meditating on the Scriptures were so much more deeper than we are. I mean, we're just listen to this. I hope I, This gives me goosebumps. I hope it does to you too. Listen to this again. This is amazing. His mercy, this mercy is a cordial to your drooping spirits, a golden ointment to your bleeding wounds, a heavenly bandage to your broken bones, a royal chariot for your weary feet, a bosom of love for your trembling heart. Oh, I'm melting. It reminds me of my friend, Pastor Natalie, who would always say, because I used to, as a new Christian, a lot of my friends would say, man, Christianity is just a crutch. And I remember saying, I, I got so riled by that. It's not a crutch. What are you, I'm a man. What are you talking about? And then years later, I met Pastor Dave Natalie, and I love his response. First time I ever got this response, when he says, oh, Christianity isn't a crutch. And I'm like, yeah, there, go on. He says, no, it's not a crutch. It's a stretcher. I'm like, what? He goes with it. And it's true. Christianity, God's grace, God's mercy. It's not a crutch. It's a stretcher. The crutch is for, you know, we're, we're, we're painting ourselves too healthy. We don't need a crutch. We need more than a crutch. We need a stretcher. And that's what His mercy is. It is a manifold mercy. As Bunyan said, all the flowers in God's garden are double. It's an abounding mercy. Millions have received it, yet far from its being exhausted, it is as fresh and as full and as free as ever. Finally, it is unfailing mercy. It will never leave thee. Don't forget that. If mercy be thy friend, mercy will be with thee in temptation to keep thee from yielding with thee in trouble to prevent thee from sinking, with thee living to be the light and life of thy countenance, and with thee dying to be the joy of thy soul. Praise the Lord for God's mercy. Now let's go to a close with Matthew 18. Matthew 18. This is the parable we all know, the story about the, the king that had a debtor that owed him in fact, let's just read it. Matthew chapter 18. So first we saw, just going over the outline, the challenge to be merciful, be you know, forgiving one another. Then we saw the reason to be merciful, even as Christ has forgiven us. And now we see the expectation. God isn't just telling us, hey, forgive. He's not just telling us the greatest reason why we should forgive. But He's saying, I'm expecting you to forgive. Okay, look at Matthew 18, verse 23. 
Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king. And we looked at this recently, so we'll just breeze through it here. Certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. And by the way, that a talent was simply a weight, a measure of weight. So it, depending on if it was a gold, gold or silver, if it was silver talent, it would be worth about, a, uh, today, in today's money, about $161 million. Can you imagine being in debt $161 million? Well, if it was a gold talent, <laughs> you're, you're in trouble. Well, you were in trouble. I'd be in big trouble if I owed $161 million. I mean, I, but if you owed 10 talents of gold, it was $11.9 billion. If it, You know, there's a game our kids play. Would, would, would you rather? Which would you rather? And they get two, two scenarios, you know. And usually the two scenarios are, like, neither. I'd rather neither, but you have to pick one. It's part of the game, you know. All these different scenarios. It's kind of fun, and it gets you talking. And, and, and so which would you rather? Would you rather be in debt $161 million or $11.9 billion? Well, obviously, we'd all say, we'd all, I think we'd all say $161 million, But, folks, what does it matter? You know, if I'm in debt, either of them, I'm doomed. I'm not paying it back. This guy had a debt that he could never pay back. So what should he do? Well, I think he should march up to that king and say, King, I'm a great guy. And, and you know, you need to forgive me. What, this money is nothing to you. You've got so much money that, that you should think nothing. You know, you should just wipe our debt free. That's it. Is that the way you want to approach it? Absolutely not. By the way, some of us approach God's mercy that way. So here we have it. Um, verse 24, But when he had begun to reckon justice, one was brought unto him, he owed him 10,000 talents, but for as much as he had not to pay... His Lord commanded him to be sold, his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made, justice. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. I don't know how, how is somebody going to pay that? The Lord of that servant, and then it was three words, beautiful words, moved with compassion. Not emboldened by justice or seething for revenge. No, that wasn't it. He was moved with compassion and loosed him. What? Just like that? Just like that. And forgave him the debt. By the way, if you got saved, that's what happened. Amazing. Just amazing. And this is where the story turns incredulous. Verse 28. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. So this guy, somebody owes him a hundred pence, which, uh, what was it? I believe a pence is, not the vice president last time, it was the word pence is actually denarii is the Greek and it's um, a denarii would be one day's wage. So a uh, hundred pence would be a hundred days wage, a hundred days of wage, whatever your typical wage would be. Now compared to the the one hundred the uh, ten ta- the talents ten thousand talents, one hundred sixty one billion or a million eleven point nine billion compared to that. 
Now let's play which would you rather. Would you rather the debt that was owed to the king or would you rather the debt that was owed to this guy? I'd rather the debt that was owed to this guy because it could be, literally be paid back. And so this guy had the same response. He laid hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. Verse 29, His fellow servant fell down at his feet, besought him, saying, Have patience with me and I will pay thee back. Oh, I heard that before <laughs> from the same guy. And he would not but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told unto their Lord, that's the king, all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because you desired it of me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? That's That's the understatement of the world right now. Shouldn't you have had compassion on him the way I had compassion on you? And the the answer screams down the halls of eternity. Absolutely yes. If you understood the debt that you've been forgiven, then how can you not forgive someone who does something far less than we've done against our holy God? I want to close with this scenario. It's a, a, a man from the Old Testament that uh, struggled with forgiveness. I'll just briefly touch on it. His name was Jonah. You remember Jonah? Jonah was a prophet of the um, the northern tribes, the northern tribe rather of Israel, or uh, that's where he was from. He was from the north. Let me get my notes here. He was from the northern kingdom. That was during the the divided kingdom. And um, during his years as a prophet, Israel stood high among all the other nations. Not spiritually. It was under the reign of Jeroboam II, about 793 to 753 B.C. Uh, But that that was a time in their history where their borders had extended the farthest ever since Solomon's reign. And so they were, politically, they were very powerful. Spiritually, they were horrible. But God did not send Jonah to those people that needed to be preached to. He sent Amos to them. Instead, God called Jonah to the Assyrian, to to preach to the Assyrians, which was the enemy. And so God, the capital of the Assyrian nation was, was Nineveh. And God challenged them, excuse me, God challenged, God challenged, let me make sure I get my, I always get my cities wrong in this. Yeah, the capital of Nineveh. He said, I want you to go and I want, to, I want you to preach to Nineveh because I'm ready to judge them. And that, that thought kind of pleased Jonah as a devout Jew. He, he knew the Assyrians. In fact, by the time of Jonah, the Assyrians were notorious for their cruelty towards Jewish captives. I mean, they were just, they were brutal. And you know that everybody was talking about it. They were just... They were the evil empire. And, and now Jonah is called to go to this evil empire and preach to them that God is going to judge them and give them the chance to get spared, to have mercy. Unheard of. So what did, what did Jonah do? By the way, Nineveh was northeast of where he was. He went as far west as he could to a place called Tarshish which I believe today is Tripoli in northern Africa. And 
he went there, and, and you know the story. I won't go into it because it's, I mean, it's quite spectacular. You know, the, the tempest coming and the men throwing Jonah over and him getting swallowed by this huge fish. And God got his attention, you know. And he eventually came to acknowledge that uh, and, and he, he struggled with, these, these people don't deserve mercy. And I want to remind you that Paul addressed that in Romans chapter 2 and verse 4 to, to people of the New Testament. He said, Do you, or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long, long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? Whenever you think, you, you focus on the fact that somebody deserves punishment, don't you remember that it is the goodness of God that led you to repentance? And Jonah had a hard time with that. He finally conceded in Jonah chapter 2 and verse 9. He acknowledged that, you know what, salvation is of the Lord. It's not a matter of, am I willing to forgive them? It's a matter of God's willing, if, and it's possible. So he obeyed and he preached to the, to the nation. But apparently when he was preaching, I don't know if it went like this, but he, it might have been something else. He's preaching, repent because God is going to judge you. Oh, I hope they don't repent. Make you, folks, God's wrath is coming. If you don't repent, you're going to be judged. <laughs> That'd be great. You know, I mean, that, that was his heart, at least, because we see that they repented. And if you read Jonah chapter 3, I mean, they repented of his preaching, and, and all which should be wonderful. And if you read the very end of Jonah chapter 3, he was not happy. He was angry. The lesson's not over. So they repented. God gave them mercy. And Jonah, he just was not happy about it. Because he didn't think they deserved mercy. And God had to teach him a little lesson. And so God grew a plant. It was a sunny day. Jonah went out to kind of have a pity party. And the sun was beating hard on him. And God in his mercy raised up a plant. And if I turn there real quickly. I know we're, this is the last minute that I might extend by necessity. But let's just real quickly turn to Jonah. You know where Jonah is, right? I'm trying to go through the books of the Old Testament real quick. Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. Right towards the end there. Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. It's gone. Somebody took my Jonah out of there. Along with Micah and Habakkuk and all the others. Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. It's right towards the end, right? Why can't I find it? I'm so sorry. I should... I, what's that? Before Micah. Okay, now, now John, where's Micah? Okay, I just came to Micah. Thank you. All right. Okay, we got Jonah chapter 4. Real quickly, I'm out of time, but let's, let's take a minute, okay? Um, and the Bible says in, in, in Jonah 4 and verse 6, And the Lord prepared a gourd and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. Now, by the way, the translation of the word gourd... Um, is, is, is notorious historically because when Jerome was translating the um, Greek had been the common language for centuries so the, the Bible had been translated Old and New Testament the, the New Testament was originally in Greek but they eventually had the whole Bible in Greek and that was used for centuries and now, now Jer, uh, Jerome it's about 300 late 300s into the early 400 so what's the 4th century and Latin was now the main language, and they didn't have a, a language or a Bible translation in their language. 
So Jerome began translating to Latin, the common language, before English came along, okay? And originally he translated it all from the Greek, Old and New Testament, he just translated it all. But then later, as he was translating, he decided that he was going to go back to the Hebrew, which was the original language, and he was going to make his Latin translation, uh, especially the Old Testament, instead of on the Greek, it was going to be on the, on the, the Hebrew Old Testament, Masoretic text. And it almost created a riot. Because the Greek Old Testament translation used the word gourd. And when Jerome saw that the Masoretic text had a word which spoke of a a plant, which actually would be the castor oil plant, uh, which is called the palm crist, I believe. And when he changed it, there was a pastor in, in a church that almost had a riot. Uh, because he translated it more literally from the from the Hebrew. And by the way, the King James translators have a little note in, in the margins uh, for the word gourd. It says, or palm crist, which is a castor oil plant. And I won't go into all that, but here's, here's the challenge. God made this plant to come over and give him some relief. Jonah was very happy for the relief. And then God killed the plant and the relief was gone and Jonah got upset. And he pleaded with God, and God said basically to him, this I'm summarizing, he said, you were, you were happy when this plant protected you, and now, now the plant's gone. And he, and he used that. In fact, let me see, let's look at the verse here. He said, um, verse 10, Thou hast had pity on the gourd for which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up by the night and perished in the night. Should not, should not I spare Nineveh? He's using this to teach Jonah, listen to me. He's like, you, you need to understand. You, you have pity on something that you had nothing to do with, which would be the Assyrians. I created them. How dare you not have pity on someone that I'm going to have pity on? What an amazing lesson that is. I close with this. There's a, a man in 1966. He was a, a professional boxer named Reuben Carter. Hurricane, they called him. And um, he and a, a friend were convicted of murder in a highly publicized trial back in the, in the 60s. And he was convicted. He claimed wrongly. He literally became a jailhouse lawyer, like a lot of guys do. Ended up arguing his case, and it ended up, after 19 years, it ended up that he was acquitted, that he, he, was, he was wrongly accused. Can you imagine spending 19 years in prison and then being released? And he said this, uh, about this, he said. Um, he said, "Wouldn't anyone under those circumstances have a right to be bitter?" He said, "I've learned that bitterness only consumes the vessel that it contains, and for me to to permit bitterness to control or infect my life in any way whatsoever would be to allow those who imprison me to take even more they've already taken." What a, what an amazing thing! You see, when you and I get bitter, folks. We are robbed of the freedom that is in Christ. When we don't forgive someone, we are keeping bad debt on our property. Unforgiveness allows someone else to control you. Remember, you've been forgiven. You've received mercy. Never do, If you ever come to a point, and I think this is what happens... As soon as you and I stop exact, we, as soon as we start exacting 
justice from someone else and we're not willing to forgive them when they have repented and all that. We're not willing to, to give them mercy. It's, I think that's a point when we have stopped valuing our own mercy that we received. Let's not do that. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the patience of the folks. Lord, this, this matter of mercy is so important. And I pray that you would help us First of all, to embrace it ourselves, to realize that we need mercy. Uh, Lord, that instead of demanding justice, we would understand that um, it would be great wrath only that we got. But Lord, we've been given mercy, so now help us to dispense it. Father, I pray for all the folks that are struggling with that. They're really struggling with forgiving someone. and uh, Lord, I pray that, uh, that they would realize that Mercy, giving mercy doesn't make what someone did right, but it puts that person in your hands and it frees us to go on and have liberty in Christ. So help us to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand and take out your hymn books, please.